Welcome to But Why Though, the podcast, a roundtable conversation about all things pop culture with guests from around the But Why Though writing community. I'm your host, Alex, joined this week by Kate. Hi. And Matt. Hello. And this is the summer without an E3, uh, but that's not to say that it is without its gaming news, and that's what we want to talk about this week. Uh, specifically, some comments made by the head of Xbox Studios about game development cycles and kind of people's general awareness of them. Uh, but before we get into that, there is a little bit of other news. First, we'll tackle some gaming, then we'll tackle some film. Uh, starting off, Nintendo Direct happened today. It was about 40 minutes long. Did you guys get a chance to watch that? I saw some I, of it. Um, yeah, I saw all the memes that came out from Elephant Mario, and that's all I needed. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the big one of a new side-scrolling Mario. I thought that was pretty exciting. Yes. Um, I think... The, the first thing they announced was Pokemon DLC for a game that was, like, I think largely and potentially still busted. So I'm not sure if that DLC is going to be any good. Um, I think the interesting thing this time around, I don't know if you guys saw this, is there's a lot of um, ports and remasters yeah. coming. I did see Pikmin 1, Pikmin 2 are coming in, yep. like, celebration for Pikmin 4. So. For Pikmin 4. Um, Luigi's Mansion two well luigi's mansion dark moon is getting ported but not in like celebration of a new luigi's mansion game um i'm a little bit confused as to why they're doing that and not also the original luigi's mansion i feel like that would be just as easy to bring over and since it's only been released on the gamecube and the 3ds i feel like it it definitely deserves it yeah i think what arkham's also coming like they're doing a port. The oh yeah trilogy. the arkham trilogy that was which, that came up and kelsey was like you don't need another one because i think i do own that trilogy <laughs> twice over and she was like you don't need it yeah i guess the hard part for me is i don't care that much for ports like some people i know you love them and i know some people care from i do not that <laughs> so, was a bless depends. your heart you love them like that was that had big was. bless your heart energy <laughs> it, I, I should be clear i care about ports when it's a game that is really hard to get otherwise um or when it's a game that like was really hindered by the software that, or the technology that it was on. And it's like, oh, putting this on something new where we can kind of like revise some of the UI mistakes or some of the, the balance and but like that kind of stuff. That's when I enjoy it. I guess for me, do the Nintendo ports even fix even any of that UI stuff or they just um, actually like throw it in there? UI, UI stuff, definitely balancing stuff. I think less so, but like the fact that when they released Metroid Prime on Switch, it's like a completely modern control scheme. Because okay. um, right now the, the ways to play Metroid Prime are with a GameCube controller or with a Wii remote and nunchuck. Um, and so being like, oh, yeah, here's like an actual modern way to play it is like, that's really cool. And that fixes something that was a hurdle for a lot of people who tried playing the trilogy on the Wii or the Wii U. Um, I will then say. The, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to I was going to move on to another game. So oh, that's what I was going to do. I was like, I am actually excited for Detective Pikachu and I will be playing that. Oh, yeah. That one looked really fun. So, I never played the original, admittedly, I but I was either. like. Yes. I watched I'm the glad movie. they're bringing it back. <laughs> I played some of the, the movie's original. so good. I watched some. Of My question I do have with all these ports, I know we're all excited, but how long do we think the Switch's life lifespan is going? So, like adding all these ports now, does that is that good for the new Switch Plus I'm, thing I'm or not? Because some of these are not going to come out for at least another year, right? Or at least a few months? Or yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm going to make a wild guess based on nothing. Two to three years is left for the Switch. And I feel I, like that's really stretching the Switch's viability, but so, I feel like that's about how long they're going to go. So I think we'll probably get another upgrade, like the OLED, but I don't think mm. we're, they're actually going to depart from the Switch anytime soon because it's really the only handheld on the market. Yeah. Like, e even the one that Sony announced is not a true handheld. Yeah, and the um, Steam Deck exists, but, like, that thing sounds like a plane. <laughs> when it's yeah, playing some games and like nintendo has something that like a lot of the steam deck like doesn't it like the nintendo stuff so mm -hmm. i personally think it's going to be around longer i think it will probably be another two years and we'll get an announcement of an updated switch but i the think mythical the switch pro yeah yeah but the switch at its core is gonna stay because really they have no reason to kill it and they're the only game in town that's true i mean think about how long the game boy was around yeah. Like how long they manufactured that, even when they had moved on to Game Boy Advance and all that, or not Game Boy yeah. Advance, but like Game Boy Pocket and everything. Yeah, and we um, do know that Nintendo people will gladly let Nintendo put out some of the worst looking things in history, and they won't care. Well, I learned I don't that from know, Pokemon. But, like this, but the Switch is, like, but this, 
the Switch is one of the better consoles. Like it, it really is. It's also like, it, one of the. It is also the most limiting console ever, that's and fair. nobody seems to care. Which we'll talk about when we get into the main console. Apparently, yeah. people care, except that's for when fair. it's on Nintendo. But it's, but it's hand. It's handheld gaming. I don't think they have to do much else. There is a very specific type. Nintendo as a brand is more of a vibe. And they want yeah. you to be in that cozy, nice. It's an expensive small vibe, okay? Vibe. It's an expensive <laughs> vibe, as all vibes are. But yeah. it is still a vibe, and I don't think they have any reason to divest. They're still selling them at a, at a very yeah. big rate. Yes, and, and the people who who want that that photorealistic 4K 60 FPS. Uh, ray tracing enabled like they're all that PS5s people aren't looking anyway. for that yeah yeah they're, they have ps5s and they have pcs and they're they have a switch for pokemon yes like that, that, that runs where they emulate it that runs i terribly. don't care <laughs> yeah it's no i i see what you're saying matt but i, I feel like i matt, like hates the switch like that this i don't hate the switch i just think it, i just Are think you it have, sure roll look, back my, the tape jason that that pokemon <laughs> game was very broken that's fair but it was and that one was i feel like everyone agreed that that was kind of an embarrassment and like should have been a, a, a writing on the wall moment for them that they can't just keep slamming these games out, uh, which we'll yeah. get into when we get to the main part of this. So um, I feel like the, uh, the only other thing from Nintendo direct I want to talk about is that they are doing a remaster of a super Nintendo game for the switch. And that feels kind of unprecedented to me. Um, yeah. The super Mario RPG is an SNES game getting, an HD remaster. And I'm like, that's cool. It looks like the gameplay is literally unchanged. It's just prettier. Is that the um, elephant Mario? No. no. No, that's the side scrolling one. The that's like a new Mario I'm excited for the side scrolling one. Um, um I'm with you, but I'm like for me, I was like, I understand everybody wants the Mario RPG. It's cool. Um I, it's one of those I kind of miss. I I need to see a price tag. But I'm also like if I'm being honest. That one I felt like you could instead yeah. of just remastering, I feel like you could have just, just done something one. else with that. Yeah. Like made a new one with because there's so because yeah. that one's mm-hmm. so, so old. You tell me you couldn't add any types of stuff yeah. for, like with the new tech and everything other than just remaster yeah. the original one. So I will say the one thing to like be on Nintendo's defense of remasters is I'm genuinely not a fan of remasters, but I think that Nintendo's has like such an iconic stable that if you miss them at any point in that history, it kind of helps to have it on a current gen piece. Cause like I don't play Zelda. I never completed mm-hmm. a Mario game. I don't know what WarioWare is and I've never played a Luigi's Mansion. Like I never had a Nintendo um, I had a GameCube, and that was, like, Kirby Air Ride, X-Men Destiny, and mm-hmm. PNO5, and, like, Need for Speed and The Sims. Like, I, because yep. I wasn't in that, like, child-like vibe when I had my GameCube, mm-hmm. I didn't get those games, because that's what I thought they were. And, like, Kirby Air Ride was from a brother. And so I think, for me, them getting ported helps me fill that thing, but... They're all gonna be sixty four ninety nine, and I don't want to pay yeah. that. <laughs> that's what kills me is I'm like I I will pay twenty thirty bucks for a remaster, but if you're literally not doing anything but a visual overhaul yeah. on a thirty plus year old game where anything is gonna look better, like I just don't see that price tag being warranted. I just wish they had a, an equivalent to like playing for four generations of video games like you can with the Game Pass. Like I wish Nintendo had something like yeah. that. They well, so there is the Nintendo Online. It's <laughs> limited, is my problem. It exists, but there's like it's. Well, I think the problem is that they're still doing this like drip feed that they did with Virtual Console, where they put a couple games on at a time, and it's like you could just put like thirty games on, you know, even not even a month, like every other month, drop another like fifteen NES titles, yeah, another thirty, and it's like you could do that. You're just not doing it. Yeah. Um. But anyway, um, I'll just say Nintendo did a direct. There was some cool stuff. There was some weird stuff. Uh, but moving on, there is a trailer that we want to talk about. I know Matt has some strong feelings, and that is uh, Sony's next Spider-Man villain universe movie, mm. Craven the Hunter. <laughs> is there a name for that that uh, universe? Is it the SMCU? Uh, I don't know. It's like it's MCU circa two thousand and eight. Yes, is, and is so, the name that that's the name. The name of Sony's cinematic universe is MCU circa two. I thought it was just Spider Man WTF because I don't know what we're doing. Because we, so what we got Venom, then we got Morbius. Venom. Let there be carnage. Yes, and then we got Morbius. Morbius. Uh, 
And now we got Craven, uh, and, now, and then we're now gonna we get got a Venom three. Yeah, we are getting a Venom. So Matt, three. how do you how do you feel about Craven? This is terrible. They took this is awful. Outside of the fact of like whatever, because everybody's like Aaron Ta- is it Aaron Aaron Taylor Johnson. Aaron Taylor Johnson is a fine, fine man. Yeah, that's and all he I have to hear great. from everybody. But no, visually the- he looks great. Mm-hmm. And that picture of him sitting on that throne. Mm. Mm. But what are we doing here? Everything mm. that was in- interesting about Craven, they removed. He now has superpowers from a like it looks like we did a Catwoman thing. <laughs> Catwoman from Batman Be- uh, Begin. Uh, no. Do you think he'll play basketball? Oh. He's now like I an eco terrorist, apparently, which is also weird. Like I don't think so. The problem I have with all of these characters because I think they are fascinating in their own realm. Like I love Venom. Craven I found interesting, obviously, from because he's like the opposite of you know like killing you know like a big avid hunter. It's just like a. Do they not know what villain means? No. And I mean, and they also don't understand the characters because like, no, they do not. Yeah. Because like, okay, Matt, I don't feel like you like went into the deep into that expl- explanation that you gave me, but the reason Craven is a bad guy and hunts humans. Is because he has killed every animal animal known to man, and that's why he starts hunting humans, and then he starts hunting superheroes. There's this a trajectory. Literally... He's a trophy hunter. We yes. don't like trophy hunters. But also, this means that he is um, on the same path as the villain in the John Leguizamo film, The Pest. Mm-hmm. Oh, also Zodiac Killer. But yes, um... where he's like, I've hunted, <laughs> no, I've hunted we... every animal, and now I want to hunt. It's every... most dangerous. Well, in game. that movie, like the, yeah. like the Island of Doctor Moreau That's or true. whatever. Yeah, I, yes, Island of Doctor yeah. Moreau. Yes, which I just which I, also, I always uh... want to tie things back to the past. Oh man. But no, the problem we have with like what Kate said of like the, what made him intriguing was he hunts people and hunts superheroes because he's killed every animal. He doesn't mind, and now they got him like said like some weird. Now he works with Peta. Yeah, now he works with like PETA. We're supposed to care for him. Yeah. He's saving well, and also, the animals, and I'm like, what are we doing here? Doing doing a Craven the Hunter movie without Spider Man also is a bummer because, yes. like you said, like the whole thing is he's like, I want to kill Spider Man, and you go, why? And he says, for the challenge. Yes, and that's, and that's, what that's makes the it conflict. That's a great motivation. Like sometimes a villain can just be like, yo, what if I could kill this dude? But it's like, also just funny remember, because he Kate, like challenges Spider Man to see if he's even worthy of killing. <laughs> just like, but guys, we're forgetting the tagline in the trailer: "Villains aren't born; they're made." This is all about humanizing villains and giving them a sympathetic backstory. I hate it, Matt. Did you have an aneurysm? Always. Well, what time... sucks is like I'm pro eco terrorist. We need more eco terrorists. Well, that's the, the problem. They're making the villains all good themselves. people. But yeah, I love. Don't worry, Matt. I'm sure he'll endanger an orphan to make sure you don't relate. <sighs> Talk about a connection with his dad. Oh, what dad? Uh, but that, but yeah, that was it, that was the joke, Matt. I know. Hope you not relate to him. I know. Um. Yeah. I. But all all that to say, I feel like it's just fascinating to see Sony continue to not learn, but then to also put out like the Spider Verse movies. Yeah. Well, so this is okay. So this is the thing, though. Like, Sony doesn't learn because we show up for this trash because at the very least, and Matt, I know you're going to say it, but at the very least, they know that they're trash. Like, no, I mean, I guess, except for, like, Jared Leto, who I, that man. Well, so the big problem we have outside of showing up is because, as you said, like, this is, like, 2005 of, like, we want to be serious, but we're not going to go all the way serious but then we can't, but we're not camp because we're serious. And no, I don't Venom know what the hell camp. we're doing. Venom huh? is camp. Venom is camp. He's still Ven- not, Venom no, it's they, camp. Whatever. And then they put and in Carnage, who's supposed to be a psychopath, but then they made the most PG movie. Okay, so they didn't mess up Carnage. But I have heard beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Hardy talk about all of this. And he knows that it's camp. That's why he's writing on it now. Cause he's oh, embraced yeah. it. There's a reason Matt, why Tom Hardy is my mother's favorite uh, person in the MCU, because I don't have the heart to tell her that he's not in there. <laughs> well, you know what and the worst part is, is in 2035, they're all eventually going to find C Spider-Man. And we don't know who that Spider-Man is going to be. And we're also going to not know why any of this is going to make any sense. And all of a sudden they're going to be bad guys, but we don't know why. Because they're going to be heroes for like four movies, and they're going to see Spider-Man and go, 
you know what? Let's be bad guys because you know why? That's and then they're gonna pull the comic material, be like, yeah, and people are gonna like, yeah, this is how it is in the comics, even though we have four movies that make literally absolutely no sense, but they did it in a I comic wanna... book one time, so it's okay. I want to pitch an idea that I feel like will never happen, but I would be fascinated. Give us some, like, let's say you give us a movie like Craven the Hunter. It's this dude who has animal powers. He's fighting to protect the animals. His methods are questionable. And then make the villain of the film Spider-Man. Like, make it Spider-Man coming in and being like, I'm here to stop you because Spider-Man doesn't know what Craven's actually, like, the ends that he's working toward. If you're going to go with this, like, let's make them sympathetic and give them a good cause, then, like, don't be a coward and make Spider-Man the villain. Like, if you want us to side with the villain, make the hero the villain. The worst part about all this also is, as we all learned, and uh, there's a character from DC Comics called Catman, which is basically literally what they're making. Outside of the is cat. it really? Look, oh, that hurts. Look, at least he's hot. <laughs> That's going to be Kate's uh, pull quote on the DVD box. <laughs> you know what? That's a pull quote for all of their movies at this point. I'm gonna what? No, no. Jerry Leto isn't hot. Yeah, Matt Smith. Come on, Matt. Apparently, he has a cult, so at least some people think he's hot. No, I'm now. I'm now going to petition to review Craven, and I will close it out with at least he's hot, and hopefully <laughs> it gets put on a on on a trailer. That's all I want. I don't care if I ever if that, get another if one. Gets, if it gets put on a trailer, if it gets put if it gets put on a DVD, I will buy that movie without having ever seen it just to have that on my shelf. Uh, but yeah, I feel like that kind of wraps it up. Just Craven, Sony has not learned really much of anything but we'll see what happens and uh it probably won't be great that sound about right it's gonna do like 500 mil because we're all stupid and then they're probably gonna have fun with it like they did morbius and they're gonna give us another one and we're gonna hate it so uh matt booty head of xbox studios right um xbox studios basically chief Game two, chief. chief. Okay. I don't know exactly where that falls in the head, but he's up no there. Idea. But I don't think Microsoft he's cool. someone, company. Microsoft company someone, structure is very weird. Yes. Yes. Someone, someone big with Xbox, a big Xbox boy, said, "I think that the industry and fans were a little behind the curve on sort of a uh, on a sort of a reset to understand that games aren't two or three years anymore; they're four and five and six years." Um, and this specifically in reference, I think, to just you know, how we used to see annual and semi-annual releases for video games and things are getting stretched out now, but that doesn't change fans questioning, like, why isn't this done? And like, when are we going to see this? And how come that got delayed? Um, and yeah, it just seems like there's a disconnect between like the consumers and reviewers and the companies. Um, so just what are your guys' kind of initial thoughts off of that quote? I I think that there is kind of, a disconnect on understanding what gets a game made. But I also, mm. so I'm kind of like, how do you explain it? I'm kind of of two minds in this piece. I do think the consumer is extremely detached in the game making process. I don't think they realize how long it takes. I don't think they realize what they're asking for. Like the fact that somebody wants something that looks like God of War Ragnarok, but is as expansive as Skyrim, like that literally cannot happen. There is not yeah. a machine that can run that. Like, because when you make a game, you have to choose what pieces of the game are vitally important. That yeah. said, so I do think there is a disconnect. I don't think that companies, not necessarily studios, but third-party marketing companies or large publishers are doing anything to make those expectations and disconnect disappear. I think that there has been a lot that has gone on in the marketing cycles, early pulling the trigger on, on when things are going to release and teasing mm -hmm. to drum up hype that they end up shooting their own developers in the foot personally. Oh yeah. That's, I remember, um, I think it was in like, I don't even know when it was like the mid 2010s yeah. Nintendo at an E3 was like, and we're working on a new Zelda game. And literally the next day they were like, shit, forget we said that. Like we are not far enough along to be talking about that. And that was a mistake. And like they like they just owned it immediately and we were yeah. like, we don't like we're not close to showing you guys, so forget that we mentioned it because yeah. you're just gonna get mad. Yeah. So I and agree with like, Mr. Oh. Booty. I agree with him. But I think that yeah. there's like a confluence of things that make No, I, I think we have a I mean to kind of go probably agree. I think between the consumers, I do think the people that 
the I said the companies. Obviously, I think we'll talk about the marketing a little later because I do think it's a big issue. But oh, I think for sure. I think the executives at this point don't actually have a clue of what we're making. That's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah. I think that. Yeah, I to me, I think point. that's probably a better problem of just like I don't think. And even if they do, I just I I don't know. I think we we have weird expectations. I also just think some of our like. Because obviously part of the other part of this, because obviously this was an Axios uh, interview that kind of like going through thing was mm-hmm. talking about like the budgets of like what are uh, kind of a case of building because like our budgets on some of these games are like easily what few couple million at this point, way mm-hmm. more than that. Um, not more depending because like essentially if you think about it, if you have somebody deployed on a game, if so you have a software engineer who makes 150k a year deployed on a game and they're working on that same game for six years three six like like mm-hmm. i guess he said what like four to five years four to five years yeah. that's one person's salary yeah no development like they're, they're, they're a bunch of millions are, of dollars like i said yeah. so they're like they're spending a lot yeah. of stuff and then well, I, think, and I, I think the the budget part is part of why it takes so long is because you i feel like some of these companies like literally can't afford to have more irons in the fire like the the investment of like oh yeah we're going to develop you know 18 games simultaneously it's like if each of those is costing you 10 million a year like do you guys really have that much money to throw down on a video game development when you won't see returns yeah. for 5 to 6 years yeah um, well it, it's also so. why there's a rise in co-development studios um mm. because they're studios who they only exist to not make their own ip but to either port or develop mm-hmm. or help develop somebody else's game yeah Um, I think something interesting that Nintendo has done with that a few times is they've had somebody handle a port and then the reward is, and now you get to be a part of the main team and make the next game. Um, Like I I don't remember, I'm trying to remember which ones they've done it with, but there have been a couple where it's been like, yeah, help us get this to a new console. uh, But then also we're going to like bring you in and let you do other stuff. Um, But yeah, co-developing and like just having other people flesh things out because it is, it's big. Like it's, uh, I mean, you see these games where it's like, yeah, we had 300 people working for four years and it's like, that's so much like manpower going into a game that somebody's going to speed run in three hours and then say it was just okay. Yeah, I mean, then you have, I mean, to do anything annual, you're pulling in five different studios. Yeah. At this point, Activision just a Call of Duty studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, or like, u- u- the only reason I think that this is mentioned in, in the article as well, the only reason that Ubisoft has been able to keep up with the production that it does is because it has so many studios. Like, each Assassin's Creed mm-hmm. is made by a different studio. Yep. Um, and I think one of the things that I'm learning more of, specifically because I'm now recruiting game developers, is understanding mm-hmm. how large one team is because it's not just like one software engineer it's a rendering engineer and then it's a software engineer and then it's that software engineer's bosses and then it's a 3d animator and it's an environment mm-hmm. artist and it's a concept artist and it's a pro like there is almost an infinite amount of work that goes into making something serviceable And I think that, like, it is akin to a lot of, like, the background stuff that we don't see on films, like the -the below-the-line workers that you have no Mm -hmm. idea are there doing things. Only the difference is, is, like, they don't, I don't think these companies, unless you're a AAA, like, giant AAA, like Activision, Blizzard, Ubisoft, that type of stuff, you're not flushed with the cash with the cash to make the game at the way it is, at the speed that it is. You have to stretch out that so like I, so I guess for me, so would this be just w- expectations of what they want in every game? Yeah, I think because so. I mean, because we talked about, I mean, kind of mentioned with the visuals and then visuals versus gameplay versus length, like all these things. Because as much as we talk about like the bigger budget games, we're also trying to make bigger games in a lot of different ways. Yeah, but mm-hmm. also while trying to make them look like what a realistic. I mean, I don't know many triple studios outside that are like trying to make something that doesn't look like intensively graphically wise i guess i remembered when i interviewed the people who did immortal phoenix rising and i asked them about their art style and he gave like he loved the hyper hyper stylized cartoonish like art style but he said no in order to have this game be non-linear and entirely open world we could not go with high fidelity graphics like people are used to from our studio yeah because of how everything branches. And then I even know, like, 
I think that's a good call out, Matt, so far as expectations of what the game Mm -hmm. is. And then I think back to your other point about like executives who are trying to make these decisions, but aren't the ones like in the pit writing the game or building the game. They're probably asking for stuff that like, you can't necessarily Yeah, because I want an RPG that's open world that has this system, but also has a great story, but also has like cut movie-like cut scenes, but also looks like the realest thing in the world. And I'm like, but also need to be 200 hours long. And I'm like, I feel like that's just a lot. And even from like a narrative standpoint, like the narrative designers we know are just like, somebody comes into the room and asks for these 20 things. And it's like, but I just built out this tree that goes the other way. What? I can't make it go that way. Yeah, no, and, and that's, that's I think, going back to the part of, like, how many teams there are and how much feedback you're going to yeah. get and how much adjusting you have to do. And, like, you know, and then it's like, well, we ran it past this team and they really hated the way that you designed the the skill tree in the menu. So go back to square one with that. And then, you know, depending on what they didn't like about it, it's like, well, do we have to restructure the point system for the skill tree? And, like, what are we retweaking? How does that adjust, like, XP benefits? Like, every every little bit of pushback risks an avalanche you know mm-hmm. um, well, and meanwhile the, the top is like big lucille bluth energy of like yes. how much could it cost ten dollars like <laughs> go see a star war um that, that that's accurate i think like the other thing that goes into that as well is like when you look at these games and you look at like those decisions like there has to be a connection between the top to the bottom in understanding Mm -hmm. how things work and i don't just mean like the process and workflow i mean actually understanding the the amount of hours that go into crafting something and then understanding that all it takes is one pass from qa to come in and your entire game is busted because and i think that that's the other thing that we want to tie that i want to tie into expectations is when you think about these long development cycles when you have a game come out of a long development cycle, a consumer is going to be like, oh, but why is it glitchy? You've had X amount of years. Mm-hmm. And I think to some extent, like, I I believe that games should come out when they're ready. So keep pushing them back if you need yeah. it. Do not announce them before you are ready to announce them. But mm-hmm. I do think that when we are expected to pay money for something you also get to complain if that thing is not well made. Yes. But I also think on the other side of that, you will have somebody who runs through the game and explicitly tries to find a glitch to then blow up that game. Yeah. Oh, so you get people who their whole thing is, I want to break the game or, you know, figure. I mean, that happened with um with Pokemon and whether or not this is broken is up for debate. But like, I think it was with all basically all of the Switch games, people figured out how to um how to game the system when it came to doing raids to like guarantee shinies and stuff like that um and so for some people that completely literally broke it um and and kind of made it useless to them because it's like well now a shiny's not special because you can plan for it um so I, I i think in terms of talking about like the game development thing like there's all these expectations of like it should run flawlessly it should be all these things it needs to be perfect fidelity um but then like not realizing that, you know, things take time because then people also want it. They want it now, but they don't want to wait for it um, is kind of well, the impression I get. But then we the, also when we don't wait for it, we get Assassin's Creed. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Assassin's good Creed thing. Unity. Yeah, oh, gosh. I do think we've got. I think most people and I'm not going to speak for everybody because we always know bad people. But I think the overall consensus, people are more inclined to wait a lot longer these days mm-hmm. than what we were before. Yeah, I mean, I've, like, barring the people, like you said, the the known people who are just going to find something to complain about no matter what. Yeah. I know at least all the gamers I know are kind of like, okay, well, don't put it out. Like, I, like, wait. Like, I don't want another yeah. broken game. I don't want you yeah. to pull I mean, your famously, game from the eShop again. Like, not to go back to Nintendo as an example, but they, when they announced their delay of Tears of the Kingdom last year, they've said it was done, but we wanted to polish it. So they just pushed it back a year because they wanted to make sure it was really good. Um, I think part of this, in terms of expectations and and demand and all that, is also historically, and granted I was a child in the 90s, (laughs) I don't think people have been this plugged into the industry side of things as a consumer, historically. 
So, I don't disagree. Um, I do think, because, I mean, I think, obviously, we have... Patching has been, like, the dual-edged sword of the industry you could talk about. Like, patching yes. allows you to fix a lot of things. And so, stuff mm -hmm. would also become a crutch in ways, but also allows things... Because, no, you're not wrong. And growing up, there are plenty of games that have a lot of broken things. And once it released, oh, yeah. it, was, it was done. And but I, think I didn't know about a game until I saw a commercial. Yes. Like, half the time. <laughs> yeah. No, we have a lot of stuff. I just think it's also, like, I think with the money part, I think with the stuff being broken, and then, like, the time stuff, and it's like a, cons a cascading effect. And I think we talked about this on another uh, episode of just, like, just what you were buying in the 90s, money doesn't go as far. And so now when you're spending, because mm -hmm. we're like, oh, game price is the same in 90s. Yeah, but $60 is not what $60 is now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so it turns into, like... And we like we've talked about in four of like as much as a broken like we've had f like fundamentally broken like stuff. Oh yeah, things like, that barely run. Or yeah, it's one thing of like, hey, my shopkeeper, you know, just arm glitches and spins around. Who cares? Yeah. Versus like, this game just crashes and does not I mean, run. Yeah. Well, you the shopkeeper game... didn't render. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and that's the issue. Like, Cyberpunk was released so bad that it had to be pulled from an online shop like that. Like. That is unacceptable. Also, they kept pushing the back game, like game back and back and back. And I do bet that there was a push from about investors and executives to just get the game out. Um, oh yeah. And I think that like that is yeah. the pressure is coming from both sides. Yeah, the pressure is coming Definitely. from both sides. And yeah, I think it's. I, I think one thing I want to get into because we talked about it a little bit in our Nintendo section is like. Is the game development cycle a result of style choices and the insistence on fidelity and stuff? Yeah, no, I mean, I kind of, that that's kind of one of the core things is I, I do think style choices do impact your games. And it's not even just style choices, but narrative choices. And mm. whether or not you want something to be like photorealistic, like not only are you going to have to call in animators for in-game play but you're also going to have to call in cinematic animators and somebody who makes a cinematic is mm -hmm. not the same as somebody who builds a game in engine to like be yeah. played and so like the more you tack on infidelity and the, honestly the more you try to make it like a movie and a playable movie and the more you try to push that piece you're getting to a piece where like your team is going to just have to keep expanding whether it's the engineering team or the art team, you're going to find yourself just consistently expanding your teams to keep up with how much work it takes. Mm -hmm. I personally, I miss when studios were making uh, more adventurous choices with their visuals. I mean, in, in the same way that Spider-Verse came out and people were like, wait, we don't have to animate like Pixar. Like we can do yeah. other things. Yeah. And I feel like we're hitting this point where I'm like, there needs to be a big game developer who just like kind of throws fidelity out the window and does something completely new. You know, just to, to remind people like, oh, your fantasy game doesn't have to be hyper realistic. Like it can look like a little cartoony or a little bit weird. And you see that a lot with indie games, but big studios, it's like you're you're it's it's the movie thing. Like you were saying, it's like, oh, like this is a like Greek myth movie. This is a sci fi movie. This is an action movie. But so, like they're all the same. Yeah, I will say Ubisoft has been doing that more like they have their mainline pieces that are like very like fidelity focused. But mm -hmm. with like a more, all their new IPs that are coming out or some of their relaunches of something that isn't continuing year to year, um, like Immortals Phoenix Rising, it is extreme. Like it is that hyper stylized cartoon aesthetic. Prince of Persia, it's very much that same cartoon aesthetic as well. Yeah, that one looks cool. It, I it, like it, that and one. It's, it plays extremely well. And so I do Excellent. think that there has to be that element of where like where you're placing your focus. Is it the gameplay mm -hmm. or is it making a movie? And I think that... If I think back and you can listen to the episode previous to this where we talk about our summer games fest, like the 2D illustrations in Disney Illusion Island, like that hand-drawn art is gorgeous to yep. see in a game. The 2D illustrations in 33 Immortals, Prince of Persia's like, you have the beauty that is Alan Wake 2 that I really, really wanted. Remedy knocked out the transitions between gameplay and cinematics very well. Mm -hmm. But I do agree with you. Like, I want more of that diversity in the animation styles because not everything has to be a movie. Yeah. I mean, and it wasn't that long ago that we had it. Like, like look at the body proportions in Gears of War. It is a little bit cartoonish while still sort of like going for that realism and that groundedness and fidelity. And it's like, do more stuff like that. Like, 
get weird with it. Make choices that are you can animate around differently. Um, not everything has to be, you know, uh, absolutely perfect or like recognizable actors. As cool as that is, like that's maybe like a mark that Ellie Noir made that we just have been sort of trying to outrun ever since. So I do have a question. So do we think the version of trying to do a third person versus first person involves in any of this? Oh. Mm. That's a good question. That's a really good question. I I want to say to a degree, yes, because any game with a character creator that is adding a whole other system that you have to develop yeah. and that's going to take time. And then you have to make sure that all of the armor and outfits fit to every body that somebody could make and every head that yeah. someone could make. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. Okay. And it's... I do understand that like Street Fighter Six sort of like swung for that and missed in a very funny way, where like all of the clothes fit unnaturally, no matter what body type you chose. <laughs> um, but like in a way that people are like, ah, eh, whatever, it is what it is. I'm still gonna play this and have fun. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, I think that that's it. Like a lot of these are, I don't want to say that it's all self inflicted, but like some things are, where it's like you didn't need to go that hard into yeah. it, but like it's cool that you did. Yeah. And um, I, will I say do. Oh, go for it. No, I, I think what sucks is, like, I think that there is onus on the companies, and, and I don't want to say the developers, but very specifically the executives that are asking people to make these swings, but I do think that there is an, ex, an unreasonable expectation that a lot of gamers, specifically console gamers, have put on, on games in that way, personally. Actually, no. Yeah it's playstation people like all of playstation's main games are like big moving cinematic big like mm -hmm. if you if you think about everything that's come out from insomniac naughty god dog santa monica yeah. like everything is in that space um i think there that there isn't that much of a diversity of aesthetic in in that wheelhouse when it comes to some of those first parties and they're also the ones that win game of the year every year so I do think yeah. that if you have a game that comes out like that and wins game of the year being like a movie, it's going to push the trajectory of the market from a pure capitalist standpoint. Again, it's the capitalist mm -hmm. fault, as we always come back to on this podcast. Yes. But that's what's driving the market where it's going. Definitely. And I, I do want to ask you guys real quick, just as a quick side tangent on like markets. Do you feel like the game industry is getting treated differently in this regard of like, people not respecting the process and the cycle or do you think that like there's sort of an impatience across the board or a misunderstanding i guess i feel like we have an inverse going on right now i feel like, like people are too understanding of film no because i think it's like because film is rushing every project out like right now we're just going bam 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 mm -hmm. i need 25 marvel movies and thing and people have been pushing, obviously, like, hey, we don't need this stuff. Oh, yeah. But like, slow down. But they don't Make seem a to. Good but, movie. but then you look at it and you're like, but people are still showing up versus games. It's been this weird thing of like, I think people are waiting. But I also think at some point it has been like at six years, like, hey, are we, are we ever getting anything? And so it's been this yeah. weird thing of like, I think they're kind of doing the same problem, but differently whereas games are trying to like we're slowing mm -hmm. down we're just not going to release anything and film says screw it we're going to release 20 things and see how it goes and they all both have their own problems of one either not enough resources or people or just vice versa of some sort mm -hmm. um but they're kind of like not not true inverses of each other but kind of differently working yeah the no, same I, problems. See, I see what you're saying like the the film industry specifically franchise films tentpole films are like trying to rush through getting the next one out and we've hit a tipping point where fans are like actually asking for them to slow down like and to take more time and care with their craft and to not just shove something out the door to you know meet a quarter three goal um yeah i hadn't thought about that but that's a good perspective on that because you look at basically all the struggles of vx and cgi that looks awful these days and they're just like screw it we don't care throw it out there and it feels like people care that it looks bad, but it, but then you like see like somebody's like this rain didn't splash properly in a game and they lose their minds. It's very weird. Why isn't this in 4K? It's like, dude, the human eye doesn't see 4K. It's a scam <laughs> to take more of your money. Sorry, yeah. 4K ray tracing is a thing that I see all the time. And it's like, you would not know. 
kind. Yeah, sir. I mean, I yeah, I've I've looked at video games that have the option to toggle ray tracing on and off, and personally, I I'm ninety nine percent of the time cannot tell the difference. Yeah, a lot of times it's not even the game is so much if you don't own a TV or good TV it doesn't matter yeah, anyways. That too. Yeah. So which I also think too, like this, this I, I do think that this is a symptom of gaming being such a privileged and expensive hobby because you have the people who are spending the most money on the TVs, spending the most money on the consoles, spending the most money on all the games who I think are the ones who are, who are primarily complaining that they don't get to play something at 60 FPS or at 4k. Like that, yeah. that's the issue. And the thing is, is like when you create games and this is, this would be my question to developers out there. If you have any developers that listen to the podcast, like when you make a game, are you thinking about making it for that, common denominator like what are you trying to make this for because when you make a game you have to be able to make it run at your lowest end and your highest end and the vast majority of people because of like how expensive gaming is they're not going to be in that top end they're going to be that in Mm -hmm. that mid to low so like i genuinely do want to know like where is the choice being made in that and is that why games like starfield are choosing to forego certain pieces to make it more accessible and more able to one come out sooner but also cater to larger game uh, uh, base yeah that's a good question and i think that's another thing that people kind of forget if they don't play pc games that there is this spectrum that you have to appeal to but Mm -hmm. the loudest people are usually at the top end of the spectrum like well and i mean i guess every now and then you get people who are frustrated or disappointed when a game comes out and they've been waiting for it since it was announced and it's like oh my computer can't run it even though when you announced it my computer absolutely would have been able to run i was supposed to review jedi survivor i could not because it came out and its specs were too high for my computer yeah now when jedi survivor was announced did you feel like you had a pretty good shot of playing it yes yes i did (laughs) (laughs) uh but no, I, I just, because I do think of, like, the film stuff, and then obviously if you want to go in the annual stuff, like, what kind of, for better or worse, killed Assassin's Creed till recently or whatever, this thing, and what the problem with the Call of Duties and everything else. I think it's also a symptom, because we look at the things, it's weird, um, because whether it's the Marvel, the franchise tent poles of film, or even the mm-hmm. tent poles of gaming, whether it be Call of Duty, the EA games, and whatever else, those games are still selling so well and some of the highest sold games every yeah. year. And I guess it's just wild to me of like, because what we're, I guess when we talk about these types of games explicitly, we are talking about the games that are like, you have one shot to make your game like very mm-hmm. well and gather as many accolades as you can versus like, yo, we're just throwing this out here every year. We know y'all are going to buy it, and we'll be fine. And, I mean, there's a lot of technicalities when, to be fair, some of the sports games, I don't know how much they change, and I don't want to say too bad to yeah. developers, but also, like, I played y'all's games. I don't know what y'all changed. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I know that, that for sure happens. Yeah, I do think that is, like, something interesting, too, because I, I think if you think about like a lot of the indies that really take off, like they have a style that isn't really pushed into that. Like you said, like the ones that took, took advantage of their chance, Matt, like you said, like Mm -hmm. Hades, like Hades Hades has seen like five lives at this point with the re the re-releases and the physicals and all the work that's been put on by those devs or even vampire survivors, which is like, like I, 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 I think it's an ugly game. It's an ugly game. So I do think, that I'm hoping that we shift away from the expectation of something looking a certain way because I I actually do think it's unfair for like games to come out every year and Mm -hmm. kind of have that solidified place when like a lot of these games this is going to be their one shot and if there's anything wrong with it it's gone yeah definitely well and especially for independent developers like it's such a you have to like you are fighting for any scrap of attention for your game when you're making it and then like if it comes out and there's something that doesn't work like you know for for every stardew valley there is a graveyard of thousands of games that did not make it Um, thousand and a hundred of those are just stardew valley with a flair (laughs) yeah stardew valley (laughs) but make it victorian uh make it steampunk Yeah, yeah it's uh yeah, it's just such a weird thing of like, and that's also where, I mean, in talking in all of this, 
um, I feel like where indie games also have it hard is that, well, they, they have it hard and they have it easy. Marketing, I think, is a big part of this. Like, you want to build hype for your game, but, like, when you're a team of 10 guys working out of a garage in your spare time to put a game together, like, you can't really play that marketing game, which I guess is kind of a blessing because then you can just kind of drop a game and people love it. Um, but on the flip side of that, you have these major studios that are like, we got to build hype for the next game. Let's announce it, you know, and the development team is like, hey, we're not ready. Um, and it's it's just a balancing act again. And then you get this thing of, um, you know, people saying like, oh, they announced that game three years ago. We don't have a trailer yet. What gives? And it's like, was it actually in development or was it in pre-development? Like, you know, I feel what bad, has but since Skull then? and Bones isn't a game. Like, Skull and Bones is never going to come out <laughs> at this point. So the best part about the Skull and Bones part, which is probably the perfect example, obviously, which we can get into a thing with marketing of, like, this game was announced when everybody wanted Pirates. It was supposed to compete with Sea of Thieves. It's announced mm. with Sea of Thieves. Sea of Thieves is, like, on a 20th expansion at this point. Skull and Bones rolled out a band that created a song for Skull and Bones to somehow eventually come out like six years later or five years i think it's five years later at this point like the, i mean yeah. the big thing we saw from obviously which we talk about on the uh, you know the summer game Fest, uh, podcast that we did of like i'm glad to know fable still exists i'm glad to know Evol uh, avowed still exists um mm -hmm. kind of touched on and probably since we're talking about xbox stuff and we'll probably with starfield or everything else uh it, elder scroll 6 we got a 20 second teaser and 28 it's now 2023 yep. we know it's been in development since probably 2014 and for almost a decade we've seen a 20 second teaser yep i mean that that's up there with metroid prime 4 which the announcement was a title card and then like two or three years later they were like we didn't like how development was going so we're starting over with a new company <laughs> yeah. and that was like three years ago that they said that and we still haven't seen anything and yeah, it's like I I mean, it's funny because, like, one, with the the Elder Scrolls 6 things, of one, there's been new console generation. They've yeah. been, mm -hmm. their studio got sold. <laughs> They're now part of Microsoft. Yep. Uh, they have a whole um, MMO game that also part of a sold thing of Xenomax. Like, yeah. I don't even Which, know what we're And at. I guess, like, that is my other question because, like, we're making jokes, right? But then at the same time, we were all saying that, like, games should take their time to come out. So I guess, like, from that perspective... I know where I am at this, and I think anybody listening knows where I am, but, like, would you all just rather not know that another one is coming? Like, would you just, like... I mean, sometimes, yeah. yeah. I, I think, for me, it's really fun when a company is like, here's a game that's coming, you can buy it in three months. Like, you know, which... and Or even yeah. you can buy it next year. See, I'm with the next year I, part with you. Because, like, cause to be fair, I don't know when that they decided to change this stuff. And obviously we don't know because as we kind of, this whole podcast of development cycles are getting in budgets and everything keep ballooning and getting longer and longer. But it is very much of yeah. like, I guess growing, like whether growing up or not, it was very much of when you saw an announcement, you knew the game was probably going to be out in a year at two at most. And now we're getting yes. announcements for games that like, I don't know. It's been a decade for some. Yeah. And I think well, that's I mean, just, look at that's something insane. Like something like Grand Theft Auto 6, where the best evidence we have for its existence is that somebody hacked Rockstar and leaked the stuff. Yeah. Like, and because that's a game that I honestly think the public was getting a little worried would never happen. You know, because like, it's been what, literally a decade since 5 came out and they just keep porting it to each new console. Thank and you, Skyrim. Then, like, and then pushing the online store and it's like, yeah, you guys have this other thing that prints money and like, I'm sure you're developing a six because you know you can't milk five forever, but the fact that like it's been so long and you've barely said anything about it. Um yeah, it's I think to go back to Kate's question, it is a balancing act. Like I wanna know it's coming, but like also, you know, give yourself the time to develop it and then just like tell people that it's coming. I mean, I think Nintendo has done that a couple times with like Breath of the Wild, I think was announced three months before it came out. Metroid Samus Returns, which was a complete reimagined or like a pretty thorough reimagining of Metroid 2. That one was announced like again, like a month before it came out. They were like, hey, by the way, we made this. You can pick it up. And it was like, cool. Like you guys just developed this thing and then like released it instead of like trying to hype us up for it and get us ready for like the pre-order packages and the I mean, and that's also, I guess, a part of this of the of the marketing <laughs> hype. Um but yeah, it's it's just like I want to know, but like 
give yourself time. Like, cause I, I feel like once a game is announced that puts a clock in everyone's head, which like Matt Booty was talking about, everyone seems to think that clock is two to three years and really it's, it should be four to yeah. six. I, I do think that a lot of that is a piece of kind of what we mentioned before about like how the different industries are interacting and just like mm-hmm. a misc like thinking of all of these things as, as, as the same thing and as the same creative endeavors. And yeah. I, I really wish, and I think that part of this too, like I think that a lot of people don't understand game development because like there is just a wall between developer and player. And I don't Mm -hmm. think that it's necessarily there in the same way that it used to be, because like you said, at the start of this, like we have more access to talking to developers and companies than we ever have. We see too much. Like it is one of those, like we need to know less about each other, but at the same time, because of NDAs and constraints and talking about specifics and because it's talking about engines and like understanding how engines work and how you're specifically going to use one or the development of a new engine. Mm-hmm. I say all of that to say is you were trying to communicate with the public about an extensive process to build something without mm-hmm. being able to tell them <laughs> what you're doing. And so instead, yeah. it's just like, trust that the engineers are working really hard to make this thing. Trust that the artists are working really hard to make this thing. Trust that the writers are, are working really hard to make this thing. And I think what it does is it just becomes making a thing, not, you know, uh, not creating a background to then render in animations for the top part or writing mm-hmm. an entire tree of choice, a choice tree out as a narrative, right? there's a kind of flattening that happens from the game developer side to gamer side. And I don't necessarily think that every gamer wants to know this stuff, but I think that if you did, you would understand a lot more that they're just not sitting in there at their desk making a game. Like there's, well, I mean, to be fair, I mean, I mean, if you're going to go by first of like, it becomes like we talk about, like we mentioned film and stuff of it, just content. But now if you're, if you're working on making a game for six years, can you like, like, is that even, like, I mean, I'm not saying it's not art anymore, but, like, you're just doing a, that's a long time for a creative process in general. Well, and I making. think that, but I also think that that's what people don't understand about games. Like, making an interactive world that you play is not an easy artistic endeavor. Like, mm-hmm. making a hundred hour game, making an endless game, like, it is not something that is easy. Like it is something like it, it's like Starfield for a really good example to get Starfield in the place that it is doing all the things that it wants to do. That is years and years and years of work because you have to animate a scene for everybody to go left and then for everybody to go right and then branch off all of those. And you have to be able to animate and build every single possibility of what somebody can choose and do. What, that's when you yeah. end up, that's when you wind up in those cycles. Well, what I was saying about this was the point of like, you're probably just burning the hell out of everybody. Oh yeah. It is definitely burning the hell out of everybody. Like everybody is <laughs> probably burn, cause you're doing a six year endeavor of like, you're like, doing like the odyssey at this point for every game <laughs> and so by no, the time you're done, like, not by the time you're done you're just that. burned you're just burnt yeah. out well like yeah. there should be some games that take 10 years to make but there should be also a lot of games that take like two years to make you yeah, <laughs> like to get groceries every day instead of driving the or call either doing doordash or going to the gas station like yo we're gonna drive to washington and then by the time we yeah. get back, we're done. And I'm like, that is like, that might be fun yeah. once. But Which I, I, well, and that's why that there is a lot of attrition from studios. A lot of people launch a game and then they leave. Because there's just mm-hmm. no point to stay. And it's not because they don't like the studio. It's just like, well, I just spent 10 years doing this thing. And oh, you want me to make another RPG? If I'm mm-hmm. a developer trying to get skills making different types of games, because those are different types of skills... I'm just going to dip because that's the other thing that happens too, is a lot of companies are known for one style of game. And I think that that high level of attrition also kind of fuels like there is no company investing in its employees to keep from burning out and being churned out Mm -hmm. because people are just churning out and it turns into this vicious cycle where the worker has no rights. (laughs) Because you're always going to, you know, unfortunately like find people who want to make the next, overwatch the next you know call of duty like they're like i love this franchise i want to contribute so there is i i feel like the supply is maybe weakening a little bit but there's a steady supply of people who are eager to 
to work there, but then there are the people who do it once and are like, actually, I'm out because I don't like I this need, at I all. needed a job. I got here. Cool. But now I like, I want to, this is not what I want to do. I had to pay bills. Um, yeah, too. Well, and also, I mean, we didn't even get into the whole like contractor versus employee thing that happens in the, uh, in the gaming industry. Yeah. That's, um, a totally I, that's, that's a different beast. And, um, it is. well, yeah, I was, that's what I was saying is like, we don't even have time to get into that. As but I guess to kind of go this. back a little bit, cause we talked about the long thing and the yeah. mar- marketing things a little bit of like stuff of like, because we to even start the show off we talked about the switch a little bit and it's console life like there's now like bethesda has not even released a game since in a decade so they haven't even made one for was their last game fallout 4 yes which was and so they haven't even made one for the new cycle um and then we we keep talking about the other cycle and then i think about cyberpunk which we mentioned like the delays and everything else of like they delayed this game for release and then it couldn't work on a PS4 or whatever, whichever one was broken. Or whatever. yeah, the PS4 when it like literally couldn't run. Basically. Yeah, but but funny because PS4 couldn't run, but when it was set to launch, PS5 didn't even exist. And it's like it was like, what were you planning to launch? We saw the oh, same yeah. thing with Halo like stuff, and it's just been like a. And obviously, this kind of goes ties in with the marketing of like when you start looking logistically stuff of like y'all were about to launch a game that didn't even run on a platform that existed, and now you have another platform, mm-hmm. and then. Um, kind of, I think you talked like, about... How, how are you going to make it work on both? And yeah, or, or yeah, Horizon Forbidden West is yeah. like, when it was coming out, they were like, it's a PS5 game, it's also available on PS4. And there was a lot of hesitation from consumers that I saw because it was like, well, is it actually going to work on PS4 if it works on PS5? And the company had to clarify like, yes, because the PS5 didn't exist when we started working on this game. Like we built it with the PS4 in mind. It running on the PS5 is just kind of sugar on top. Like that is that's the extra stuff that we get to do. Like we can make it a little bit prettier over there. Um, But also the fact that that's happening, that people are starting development on a game and then a whole new game is like a year or two into its life cycle before the next game gets launched. Yeah. Cause I mean like right now, if you've been, cause Starfield Xbox series X hadn't even been announced at this point or, well, no, when they got, Oh yeah. Well, I guess when they technically, when they started it, depending on when they, I think the announcement, they think they knew it was coming, but I think obviously announcement, but yes, uh, mm-hmm. Elder Scrolls Six hadn't been when they did all stuff. I mean, when we go to other yeah. stuff of like, I don't know how you prepare, and I guess that's one. Obviously, we can talk about the console life, and then obviously your game design. But like, does that hinder making new consoles? Because I mean, how much drastically can you upgrade a console to accommodate what we need to accommodate mm. for stuff? If you're making a PS4 game, and then a PS5 arrives at your doorstep. Like, is that better or worse? And they're like, hey, build to this. Yeah, and like, this is what we actually need for you. Because I think what we've seen yeah. is, like, a lot of the back-end stuff has been bad as far as, like, the PS4 mm-hmm. games somewhat have been atrocious. Um, and so I do wonder how much, like, you just got scrapped. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, and I think it also just, I mean, it's that's been the constant challenge of developing for PC is that you have to account for a million different configurations that you might see. Um, but it feels like we're starting, we're not getting quite as many options with console, but you are getting multiple options with console of like, there are games that were made to run on the Xbox one, the series S and the series X, you know, and then on top of that, the PS4, PS4 pro and PS5, which I think that that also puts us in that position where like, when you think about like how these consoles are going, like for a while, there was that pushback against reverse compatibility. But now I think, Mm -hmm. and I think moving forward, the reason things are reverse compatible, specifically on the Xbox side, is to benefit those developers that are starting a development cycle in one console and then moving forward. Like, and that's the benefit Mm -hmm. of cross compatibility. Like outside of a general um, larger access and lower cost of entry for people, you're Mm -hmm. also going to be helping out developers develop across generations by allowing somebody to play their game across those pieces. And I think that I don't think we're ever going to go back. I think that we're going to stay in this long development cycle, which developers have talked about being bad. Like you said, Matt, like just being run into the ground by them, but it's capitalism. And I think it's here to say, but I do think, and I do think that that's why the stigmatization from a marketing side and from a um, company side has gone down on reverse compatibility because the idea was, specifically for PlayStation, the PlayStation 2 cut into the PlayStation 3 sales so much that they they had, to, mm-hmm. like, that was the last console you were able to do cross-compatibility on because of that. 
Um, yeah. I mean, and that, that doesn't surprise me, but like, I think you're right that, you know, you have to do it to support developers, especially like now that we've seen how pre-order systems and the modern like distribution model are just so ready for people to become middlemen on their own and to, you know, buy up 30 PS5s and set up an eBay shop. And it's like, so you have a console that you can't quite build to capacity. And then you like to tell a developer like, Hey, we have this many millions of PS4s out there, but we really need you to make your game compatible just with PS5. And it's like, okay, well, how many possible copies could I sell of the game? And it's like a million instead of 5 million, you know, for fake numbers. Um, but like it, it does hurt how many people you can sell the game to. And, and it hurts, you know, like, I mean, like you were saying, Kate, and um, it all, I think it also hurts them to like, not help them with developing it for the next thing. Like, you know, if, especially when there's a significant like change up to like chip architecture um, and how all that stuff works, like you need to, because the, the other option is to just say like, well, you started developing it for Xbox series or the Xbox one. So you're going to finish it for the Xbox one. And it's like, yeah, but like maybe help them get it on the Series X. Like maybe, you know, like pull them forward with you. Um, so yeah, I think there is also just a responsibility from the console makers. Uh, before we wrap up entirely, I was a, a good and long conversation with a lot to think about. Uh, do you have any content that you want to plug? Um, either just something you wrote oh, for but why though, or just, oh, what? I was going to say one last thing of the funny thing is we didn't even get into, which I don't think was actually talked about necessarily in this uh, article or interview, but I do oh, think, yeah, yeah. but it's funny because we're talking about these long development cycles. We're talking about one shot and everything. Um, what do we talk about with games of service then? And how do those even fit in? Or the guess? endless early oh, access yeah. cycle. Oh, where something's in development forever. Or the fact that you buy, or the fact that you can buy it in early access, but it's still in early access. But then they're adding more content that you have to pay for, and you're paying full price at early access. Yeah, because I, because we talked before, I used to love early access because you usually got the game like half price. Now they're charging like full price for early access. Like, well, we're developing, and I'm like, but why are you charging me full price? All your early access does is just sounds like it's a disclaimer that stuff can be broken, right? It's yeah, moving away from was it Minecraft that you like whenever you bought it, that was just the price that it was. And like it like there were people who were like, Yeah, I bought it for five dollars back in two thousand ten and like that license still works today. <laughs> and it's like that's cool. No one does that anymore. No, no. Except I bought so many twenty dollar early access games and eventually turned out to be great. And I got a lot of value out of you. Now there's early access games that are like sixty bucks and I'm like, This sucks. And that never actually come out of early access. Yeah. Hearthstone Battlegrounds has been in early access, I believe, since like 2018, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, that was the last thing of like, obviously, no, like, that's still so much more of like, oh, I waited yeah. six years to develop in this game. Now I'm supposed to just ride this thing out for 10 years. Yeah. And well, and that's the other <laughs> thing is like, how long do you expect people to be along for the ride with your game? You know? You love that game. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Well, here's the thing: is because you have the you have the great examples like Hades was a game that was in early access for like five years, I think. Um, and you could pick it up, you could play it, you could support it. Um, but it eventually came. One, it was great, and two, it came out of early access. And so, like, you see those success stories, and so people are like, "Yeah, I'll gamble on this." Like that was really good, but not realizing that Hades is the exception. And then, like I said, when you start adding into, like, they they released DLC. The first time, I think the biggest thing that turned us off for ARK, where we used to play, was they released the DLC, and the game was still in early access. And I'm like, but why am I paying for paid DLC if you haven't even fully released the game yet? And now it's, just, more, now it's just common. There's just DLCs for early access stuff all the time. I'm like, oh, this is weird, nope. man. Not interested. Like, now we uh, but yeah. Yeah, no, I think that was a, a good conversation. And, uh... Yeah, great episode. Really enjoyed that conversation. Do you guys have any content that you'd like to plug? Something that you wrote? Something you watched? You should go read all of our Summer Game Fest content. We did a lot of you it. Should. We talked about a lot of games. You can listen to the last episode of this podcast, and you can just head to their, head to the site and click the little bar that says Summer Game Fest. Uh, we covered a lot of things. We have the latest on Assassin's Creed Mirage, Alan Wake 2. We also have some hands-on with 33 Immortals, the new um, the new game from Thunder Lotus Studios who made Spirit Fair, um, Disney Illusion Island, cocoon who comes from the guy who made limbo and is really really good uh we have a lot um and i think that at least on that slate it's a lot to get excited for uh just don't 
look at the bottom where a lot of them say sometime in 2023 <laughs> without release dates. <laughs> hey, at least if they got yeah. us, at least if they have a year that's good because I'm pretty sure I did like one or two that didn't have a year at all. That's rough. <laughs> but no, you should be excited. There's a lot of stuff. We have that. Um, I don't have anything else to plug. I wrote some stuff. Oh, yeah, go read all of our summer game fest stuff. Enjoy the games. Um, by the time this comes out, there'll be even more stuff announced, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, if you skip the Summer Games Fest episodes in this feed, go back and listen to them. They're great. There you I'm go. sure there will be 10 more mini directs and showcases from some company from now until the next time we talk. Oh, yeah. It's, again, the summer without E3 certainly just still has maybe even more game news than when we have E3. I think just to kind of wrap this up, though, is it really news if it won't be here for a decade? okay very good point matt um thank you guys so much for listening if you like what we're doing please take a minute to uh like subscribe leave us an itunes review retweet us tweet at us um get into fights with us on instagram whatever you want to do uh we'd love to hear from you you can also check out the site to to fight somebody on instagram at least give me a platform to use okay fight kate on twitter Kate will fight you on Twitter if she has time. And if you have a good enough argument to fight, I feel like I should put that out there. Like, don't come at us with dumb arguments. Don't be dumb. Because then I'll Uh, just, like, send a BTS meme or something, and it's not going to be engaging for anybody. That's true. You'll probably be more annoyed. Uh, But yeah, and then also find us on on YouTube, on Twitch. Uh, We have a Discord. That's a great place to go. I'm there lurking more than posting, but I am there. Uh, And you can also uh, find us on Patreon to throw us some money that way to help us uh, keep the site going and doing what we're doing. Um, You can find me on Twitter at MostAlwaysAlex. Kate, do you want to be found on the internet? Yeah, because you just told everybody roll up and fight me. You can roll up and fight me at OMMithRandir on Twitter. I am on Instagram, although I don't use it that often. Um, And then I will actually, I'm going to be in LA. You can fight me at Anime Expo. Uh, So if you're going to be at Anime Expo and I'm going to be at Anime Expo and you want to say hi, feel free to. Just remember, personal boundaries. Don't touch me. And Matt, do you want to be found online? uh sure not really but also you know where you can't find me is at the bottom of the ocean in a pipe Uh, a logitech controller that was wireless